I'm Lisa Lancer Rose, and this is This Animal Life. I put makeup on and I'm wearing my fancy New York glasses and I put a shirt on like uh, I imagine actresses wear in Hollywood. <laughs> All for you. Oh, well, thank you. And and how does this mic sound? Does it sound good right there, do you think? What do you think? Uh, Am I too loud? Actually, it's kind of sexy, Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> They're fun. I have a very scratchy um, voice. So I have with me today Dawn Wolf. She has worked as an animal talent agent and wrangler for almost 30 years. And she runs her own talent agency, Positively Famous. It's a national animal modeling and talent management firm. And she covers Los Angeles, Denver, Houston, Chicago, Miami, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York City, everywhere in between, even Florida. She's done projects for Lego, BarkBox, DC Lottery, Birkenstock, or is it Birkenstock? Birkenstock. Birkenstock, I think. I don't wear their shoes, so. You should have said that. that. <laughs> um, also Petco, I think I pronounced that correctly. Um, and you worked on Animal Planet, right? Uh, TV shows Dogs 101, Cats 101, Hamsters 101, right? That's one one one. Yeah. All that. All that. Thank you so much for being here with us, Dawn. Yeah, th this will be fun. Um, I'm always up for a good podcast yeah, talk. So. We're going to have a good time. Uh, when I was talking to you about the podcast and saying that I, I wanted to focus on animal stories, and you told me that for you it was Benji. But when I was reading about you, because uh, I Googled you, um, I saw it all started when you were 12 and you got a border collie. Yes. Well, I would say it even started a little bit before then, because I got my first dog when I was three and wow. Tuffy looked like the dog Toto. Right. And okay. so as I got to be you know, seven years old, I started teaching him some tricks and he was, he was pretty good, but he was a peekapoo. So I have this cute little dog, Tuffy, and then I see Benji, and I was just blown away by the whole movie. And so then I really focused on not just tricks for my dog, but actually more movie-type behaviors um, with Tuffy. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's, I was, I was a weird kid. <laughs> no. Well, okay, yeah, that could be, um, but. That sounds a lot like me. I, I wasn't allowed to have a dog till I was 11. But um, yeah, I, I don't know what it was like from the age of three. As, as soon as I knew people could have a dog, <laughs> you know, I wanted one in the worst way. And I wanted to interact with them. I, I would have done the same thing. And when I finally did get a dog, I, I did start training almost immediately and did tricks too when I was 11, just like you. And watched every TV show that had a dog in it and every movie that came by. So, um, but then you got a border collie. Yes. So 12. I was at the park because I, at Washington park in Denver, and I used to help take care and feed the ducks and take care of the pigeons. Cause they would get a fishing line on them. So I was, uh, you know, I was always taking care of critters and there were these people and they had puppies in a cardboard box and they were giving them away. And 
So I told them to show up when my mom got home from work and in this alleyway right by our house and they, and they pulled into the alley and then my mom got home and I was like, mom, mom, I got to show you come here. And I brought out, I didn't tell her what was going on. I was like, I came out and I showed her these puppies in a box and I was begged her. I said, please, you need a dog because you don't have a dog. Take one of these puppies. And she said, okay. So it was a border collie mix. Uh, okay. and, and my mom named her Shelby, but of course my mom worked all the time. So it really became my dog and Which you knew it would, may I just say here that it sounds like that was your first act as an agent. <laughs> yes, I was, I was looking for talent. Um, yeah. So and, and you made, you, you made a deal happen. I made, I made, I made it happen. And, you know, so my little dog, Tuffy was very, very smart and, but he was nowhere smart as what I found out Shelby was. And Shelby was just, uh, I mean, obviously I was, I had some experience in training and teaching, but when you have a dog that uh, combined with your skills as a trainer, you have a dog with a very high intelligence and a high aptitude for learning and a very biddable dog, a dog that with a really good work ethic, it's just really incredible how that relationship can grow and what you're able to do. Um, with that animal. So yeah, Shelby, she became, I did a lot of circus tricks with her. So if you met me at the park, so, you know, let's just fast forward. I'm 12. So a year later, I'm at the park. If you ran into me, I would have a cockatiel on one shoulder, my dove on the other shoulder. And then I would have Shelby jumping, you know, through my arms and, and rebounding off me and all these um, Frisbee tricks and circus tricks. And then I would clap my hands and hold my arm up and my uh, pigeon would land on my hand um, who was circling because I, I pretended my pigeons were falcons uh, because yes. I always wanted a falcon. So, yeah. Wow. I, I would have been absolutely enchanted with you. I mean, you were who I wanted to be. If only my parents would have let me. <laughs> well, that's very sweet of you. A lot of the uh, other children, uh, People my age, you know, they were all into um, chasing boys and and school and all those kind of things, everything that did not really interest me that much. So, you know, um, now that you say that, um, I could see how it would be off-putting to other children. Somebody like me, I, I would want to know you. I would make a beeline for you and have no interest in any of the other kids. And I was good at make I was good at making noises too, like animals, like growling and oh yes, and uh, you know hot calls and all that. So kids were just like hot calls. No, like I, hawk. I, yeah. Oh hawk. Like <laughs> okay, hawk. yeah. So you were a little weird. That was very strange. Yeah, <laughs> but but it just you know it it uh, it eventually gave me the career that I have now. So I'm very yes. uh, thankful. I wanted to be Pippi Longstocking oh. or Jane Goodall. Oh, God, I'd love Jane Goodall. If I could pretty much meet anybody, I would love to meet her and give her a hug and, and tell her thank you. I for did meet Jane Goodall. Wow. She came to Penn State when I was a graduate student there. There was a she gave a talk and there, she was signing books and I got to go up and get a couple books signed and and chat with her a second. That's all. Wow. But yeah, and she's still um, she's still out there touring. I, I guess she's Zooming now but I saw she's 
I think she's being interviewed for the New Yorker Festival. Well, I'd, I'd love to meet her because the only person I've ever met that was involved with um, animals on, on that type of a level, in a sense, um, was mm-hmm. Dr. Irene Pepperberg. You met Irene Pepperberg? I did. I even have a photo <gasps> with her. I was so excited. Oh, you know, yeah. I, yes. I loved Alex. I mean, that was just fascinating what she did with him. And um, there was a bird store by my house and they were having, you know, one of their big events and she was going to be there. And I, I just was so excited to meet her. Dawn. She was like one of my yes. heroes. And I was like, and she, Me thought, too. She, she thought it was like, you know, probably a little weird. I'm like, you're one of my heroes. No. Oh my God. And so now, so what's kind of cool is that my brother, um, Justice, is marrying a lady named Catherine. They're engaged. And Catherine used to work with Dr. Irene Pepper. <laughs> is that crazy? That's crazy. Yes. Wow. Now, when that book came out, you know, when that hit the news uh, about Alex, I I grabbed that book immediately and, and read it cover to cover and everything I could find about Irene Pepperberg. Um, if there's she's on a podcast or there's a podcast about her, I, I listen to it. I'm such a fan girl. And I grew up with uh, African gray parrots because I grew up in part of my childhood was in West Africa and we got African grays and cockatoos. And so I they were like siblings in my house and we had no idea it's 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 sad we had no idea how smart they are and how social they really are yeah they're so. very they're very cool uh, birds and um, yeah so you had a pigeon or a dove and you trained it <laughs> yes I used to go and catch baby pigeons um I would take them out of their nest when they were you know just a few weeks old and then I would I would finish raising them as their mother. Wow, that's dark. <laughs> well, because here, all right, here's the thing. So you can't just keep pigeons for pets because here's right. what happens is as they get older, there was a flock that was you could literally see from my house, maybe um, 100, 200 feet away this big apartment building. And so my pigeons who I loved would eventually start going and hanging out with those pigeons. And then eventually my pigeon wouldn't come home anymore. Yeah. So it would ghost you. Yeah. It was very sad because I'd sit up there and I'd yell for it and call for it. And, and it was like, no, we're, we're done. No. And they're telling all the other pigeons, I was taken from the nest. I was raised by this giant. <laughs> well, you know, the, the parrots that we had from West Africa were also taken from their nests and sold as pets. That's just how it was done. Yeah, back in back the day, in the it day. wasn't a lot of captive. It definitely was uh, was those types of birds. So my mom couldn't afford to buy me a, a Greater Hill Minor bird, which I really, really wanted. So we went to Cinderella City, the mall, once. Um, I probably was, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 at that point. And there was a parrot that was flying around the pet store, and they could not catch it. And the person, the manager, was very frustrated by this. So... He said, if you can catch it, you can have it. So I literally went down to the next store in the, in the mall um, to another pet store. And I said, if you can go catch that parrot, I will buy the cage from you. So they went and caught the parrot. I bought the cage from him and I came home with this. Um, 
was a Nanday conjure. I don't know if you know what uh, Nanday. I know what conjures yeah, are. Yeah. The Nanday. Nanday conjure. And um, yeah, his name is Bandito. And it was my first experience with parrots. May I just point out here that again, you showed what a natural wheeler dealer you are. <laughs> yes. This, this is true. Well, it's just the thing. When I want something, I am very unstoppable and I have to have it. So um, I, I had to have that bird. And, yeah, but you negotiated with adults. Yeah. And you solved the problem. You figured out what does what do they want? Like the store next door, they want somebody to buy a cage from them. So yes, I figured was, out what they want. I, yeah. I, most of uh, the people that I corresponded with as a child were adults. I didn't have many child friends. So I guess that's where maybe I got those skills from that I wasn't afraid to ask adults and tell adults what I want um, and make things happen. Mm. So yeah, Bandita was a, was a fun little bird. And then I got into raising um, cockatiels and ring neck mm-hmm. doves um, and cockatiels are another, like if anybody ever says to me, Hey, I really want to get a parrot. Um, I always recommend a cockatiel for a very first. Is pet. that right? Yeah. Why is that? Well, because cockatiels are really, they're fun. You know, that like they're playful, you can teach them to, to whistle and a little bit of talk, but they just, they like to sit on your shoulder. And mm-hmm. I also, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love budgies, um, little parakeets. Yes. But I think that the cockatiel is a little more interactive. So it's a good starter bird. A good starter parrot. If you really want to start parrot. with just have a bird, I do love budgies. Anyway, um, what I know you as is uh, is an agent. Um, how did you get started? How do, I mean, I, I can see every the groundwork was there, the passion for animals and animal training, and the kind of matchmaking, deal making. But you're, how did you did you go to college to learn to be an agent? How <laughs> how did you go from being that weird little girl with a pigeon on her shoulder to being the uh, agent that you are? Well, I think it was just kind of a natural thing for me to do in the sense that um, I went to school to be a professional dog trainer when I was about 21. Did you? Okay. I met, I had a wolf and I went to a, I had a wolf dog and I went to a meeting of all these other people that had wolf dogs for pets in South Jersey. Okay. And there was a dog trainer there and he was telling these people, you need to train your wolves, not just build a big pen in your backyard and keep them yeah. like livestock that they could be trained. And so I talked to him a little bit and I said, oh, you know, dog train. I said, um, that would be a really good fit for me. I just didn't know that you could make money at it because I remember my mother taking our dogs when I was a child down to a group class for $25 for six weeks. And, you know, I can't support two little children on that. Um, And this dog trainer, his name is Major Fred Fink. He said, no, you can actually make a really good living doing this. Um, But he said, you know, blondes are idiots, but you can follow me around for a couple of months. And, you know, we'll see if, if, uh, you know, maybe I'll take you on as an apprentice. Yes, he was very chauvinistic. Listen, I as I was studying Benji and Benji's career, the chauvinism was a, quite apparent. It, it's a, a thread in the story. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I suspected it's something you've had to face. Yes. Well, you know, so I ended up um, 
follow him around for a couple of months. And then he said, okay, you are too smart. You must be a bottle blonde, but I will take you uh, as an apprentice. So wow. I moved a few blocks away from him and then I apprenticed uh, under him and we took on, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, aggression, um, coming to the worst case scenario dogs. I wasn't that interested in competition obedience and helping people with those types of goals. And uh, so after that, he had me move to South Jersey to be his trainer down that way. And, you know, I had Athena, my wolf at the time. So my wolf started getting, I guess, uh, inquiries about her to come in. And uh, there's a wildlife gallery nearby. Okay. And they wanted her to come and stand out front when um, a, a very famous artist, uh, John Van Zyl, was coming to town because he was going to be promoting his Alaska ethos series, which uh-huh. was a painting of a big black wolf. Um, and so Athena and I went and did that and we had a lot of fun. Oh, and I forgot when I actually lived in Alaska before I moved to New Jersey, there was a radio station called K Wolf radio station. It was the main kind of rock and roll station in town. And I reached out to them and said, Hey, I have a wolf. If you ever want to do any promotions. And so they ended up making her their mascot. Is that where you got your wolf was when you were in Alaska? Yes. I bought her from Philadelphia and shipped her to Alaska. (laughs) Yes. That's crazy. Why did you get a wolf? Well, let's just say I read a lot of Jack London stories. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And I always wanted a wolf. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up getting a wolf dog when I was in Alaska. And he only had a little bit of wolf in him. But I found out about this organization called um, United States American Wolf Dog Association. And they had a newsletter. And so the newsletter would show up um, four times a year. And in one of the next newsletters I got was a um, big black wolf named Howling Bear. And he was from the New Jersey area and they were using him for stud service and he had just won best in show. So these wolf people had dog shows like dog show people do. Okay. But it was more like going camping with your wolf. So anyways, I I called the guy and I said, hey, have you bred him yet? And he did to a, a bitch in Philly. And so then I got a cub from her. Okay. And you were in the New Jersey area at the time? No, I was in Fairbanks, Alaska. (laughs) So I shipped her up at six weeks and she was, uh, she looked a lot older. So um, they didn't question it at the airlines. Yeah, I I left my husband, took my two kids and my wolf and came to the States in New Jersey. That's when I met the dog trainer. That's when I ended up going to school. And I used Athena for some promotions, but I would say, you know, he really helped lay the, the groundwork for me to be a trainer, but I always loved trick dog training was one of my passions. Um, and you don't really make any money training people's pets to do tricks. You save them from going to the animal shelter or be put to sleep. Yes. And so doing trick training kind of um, was my happy place to kind of, uh, I guess, even out some of the sad uh, and hard decisions uh, that had to be made um, in working with clients. So, you know, as the years progressed, um, I had to go back to Alaska. And when I got back, I actually got a little Jack Russell that I went to the Jack Russell um, Terrier Club Association. um, And they were having, you know, their trials. And and I went there specifically looking for a Jack Russell that would look like a movie dog. 
was this because of wishbone or was this before wishbone? No, it was, it was maybe around the time of wishbone, but I always, I'd loved Jack Russell's. And whenever I saw a Jack Russell, I was just like, Oh my God, that is the cutest thing in the world. Yes. And I, I had, you know, I had trained some, so I, you know, work, work with Jack Russell rescue. And so I went to okay. the, the trials and this lady had one who was six months old and she also had her brother who was a little bit of a shorter one, but she had um, this beautiful all white one with just one brown spot on her forehead. So I put her on a leash okay. and I walked her around the club, you know, around the, around, around the event. And I would say to people, does this look like a movie dog to you? And everybody was like, oh my God, that dog is so cute. I could totally see that dog doing a movie. So anyways, I went back and told the lady, yes, I would, I would take her. And um, so then Hope started getting hired uh, to, to do different commercials and different print shoots and, and whatnot. And um, she was just an amazing little trick dog. Um, and then I ended up because I was doing that business some for fun. Um, the lady that I was working with told me, well, if you really want to be able to do a, a big movie or a big commercial, you really have to have two of them because they won't hire you if you don't have a double. So, wow, good tip. And it just kind of came at a time in my life. I hadn't planned to get another dog after I got Miss Hope, but um, unfortunately, uh, one hard part of my life was that um, I got hope in um, June at that show. And in November, my oldest son, Cody, was killed in a car accident. And so, you know, with the holidays coming around, um, here comes Thanksgiving and, and here comes Christmas. And it was horrible, as you can imagine. I can't. Well, you know, um, a year later, here come the holidays again. And again, they're going to be horrible. So I, my, my, my youngest son, uh, Carrick was 14 when Cody was killed. So a year later, Carrick's 15. And I just felt like he needed a dog yes. to love, um, would help him and getting through Christmas again, would, it would help. So we ended up, we went and got Nikki, who was a little rough coat, Jack Russell, completely all white. And, um, she came in, she came into our lives and she was just the, so, so beautiful and so wonderful. And she really helped us get through um, that holiday season. And uh, she looked just like hope if I shaved her. And I was put a just spot on her head. So she, <laughs> yes, I had, I had to shave her. She got her very first job at six months. Uh, her and hope had to do the um, Philadelphia lottery commercial okay. and, um, so that was their, their first gig. And then Nikki got her very first movie at the age she of She was a in year. a movie? She was in a movie with Elizabeth Shue called Firstborn. And she, she was just that dog. I can't even tell you. know, you, you get dogs and, and they're all special yeah. in their own way. And, and Miss Hope was a great trick dog. Nikki was a great trick dog. But the way that you are able to speak to your dogs, with Hope, I had to be a lot more commanding. Hope, sit, you know, fetch do this where Nikki, I could more casually talk to her like, Hey, Bonita, why don't you go over on the chair? And I want you to lay down and I want you to put your head down. Mm -hmm. So more conversation. She could pick the cues yeah, Nikki out was of amazing. the stream of syllables more naturally. Yeah. Yes. Well, she, she was a, a just 
an incredible actress. She really was amazing. So, and, you know, I, I, she was very much like Benji is who she reminded me of because Benji had that um, ability to, um, with his eyes, convey a lot of emotion and, you know, he was just, you will. I mean, we can, well, we can, we can talk about him now and then, um, and come back because in part, it's great to review his life. He's, he's so worth it. Um, but also some of our listeners might not know much about him or might not know about him at all. So. Well, that's just a tragedy it? because everybody should know about Benji. Everybody should be, should be like required movie watching, especially if you have kids or, yes. or grandkids, you must you show know, them Benji. It's a timeless. Absolutely. And. Um, if you have, uh, if you yourself are uh, just a natural born dog crazy person, or if one of your children or a child, you know, is a natural born dog crazy person. I, and I, I had a, one of my early episodes of this podcast was, is there a gene for dog people? It's one of the most popular episodes. And, uh, I, I looked at whether or not, uh, certain humans are born with a gene that creates a natural, uh, natural affinity. Maybe not for dogs necessarily, as in your case, because I think we some certain people have a natural affinity for interacting with and communicating with other animals, and dogs just happen to be convenient and fabulous. Anyway, yeah, uh, these books that we've mentioned, um, the Jack London books, are great gifts for dog crazy people if they haven't read them already or if they're very young. Uh, the Benji movies. Also, there was a book for children. I don't know if it's still out there. It was called Sasha, My Friend. It was about a, a girl who was taken, I think, to Alaska. Her mother died and her father had to go to Alaska to work and they live out in the middle of nowhere in a trailer. And she ends up befriending a white wolf named Sasha. It was one of my, this is not ringing a bell for you, huh? I would have thought you would have known that book too. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Have you ever heard of the book called Al- Algonquin? Algonquin? Yeah, it was very cool. That was another. Okay, one I will favorite, find that. Like kids and books. put that. And where oh, the red fern yes. grows. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean. Oh my gosh. I want. I begged my mother. <laughs> I begged my mother for those dogs. I was like, please, because I wanted to do coon hunting. Not that I could kill them, but I wanted to do trailing, yes. and that was one of my favorites. Now we're gonna have to put together a library, John of uh books and and films <laughs> right? yes all right let's talk about benji um so i did some homework so that i would be ready to, to tell you about benji um he was a mixed breed uh, he was cocker spaniel schnauzer and poodle and this guy frank in i did not know that frank in is behind most of the animals who were acting in tv shows and movies of a certain time period, like uh, I was born in the in the early 60s. And when we came back to the States, I guess it was mid 70s. And there would be um, these shows in syndication like uh, Petticoat Junction or um, Beverly Hillbillies, you know, and then there would be uh, an after school special or uh, a movie on Saturday afternoon, uh, Lassie Come Home or something. And I didn't know that a lot of the animals that I was seeing in these shows were mostly trained by this one person named um, Frank Inn and his woefully uncredited wife. So uh, Frank would, when he was looking for, I, I should call him Inn, um, he would go to the shelter when he needed a new dog. 
So he went to a shelter. It was the Burbank Animal Shelter. It was 1960. And apparently this dog, who he came to be called Higgins, was born on December 12th in 1957 and ended up in the shelter. And they were going to put him down. And the shelter manager really didn't want to. And I, But in went and saw potential in the dog. And the dog was saved. And the manager didn't have to kill the dog. So he took the dog and um, he, he would have a number of dogs in his house. He believed that the dog should live with you. If you're training it, uh, you know, he believed you had a better working relationship if the animal lived in your house with you. So he had this huge menagerie because he also trained ravens and I don't know what all. Benji was, or most people know him as Benji, but his real name was Higgins. So Higgins was living with in this menagerie being trained, right? And Frank N was working on a set where his raven had a gig, had to be in an elevator, I guess. And it was a scene in the Beverly Hillbillies where Ellie Mae bangs a pot and says, soup's on. And it's a sight gag. And 40 dogs, which they had all gone and uh, picked up at the shelter and trucked over and trained. And if you want to talk about how they trained that, I'm ready ready to tell you how they trained this stunt but 40 dogs um at, upon the cue soups on or at least that's how it looks in the in the video ellie may bangs the pot and the 40 dogs come running in like a stampede and granny is outside and granny falls down and the dogs run right over her back like all 40 of them trample her and leave paw prints all over her dress I remember that scene. That's so cool. Of course. How do you here? It's a quiz, a pop quiz. <laughs> How do you think they trained 40 dogs to run over Granny? Well, I would say if I were going to train that, I probably would just make a fake dummy mm -hmm. person and have the dogs do it. And then I would never let Granny do it. I would have a stunt double for sure. So that's how I would train that. Yeah, that's how they did it. They had a dummy that they put in Granny's dress and they trained the dogs to run over it. And then they had a stunt double put Granny's dress on. It was a man and lie there while the dogs run over him. And then they actually had the actress herself lie there in the dress and the dogs ran over her. Um, anyway, there was this guy uh, from the Raven in the elevator who was, uh, I don't know what his job was. And I tried to find him. They said his name and I could not find him. So I don't know what his deal was, who he was or why he had suction here. But he saw this and he thought it was the funniest thing he ever saw. And he asked Frank, and do you have another dog? Because I think I want to add a dog to the elevator with the raven. So do you have a dog? And then um, Franken's like, well, you just saw 40 of them, right? Pick one. And he said, no, I don't want any of those dogs because they've already been filmed. I want a fresh face. <laughs> so he wanted a completely new dog. So uh, Frank went back to his house and he got, uh, he had six dogs or he brought six from his house. I think he had a lot more, but um, there were six dogs that had never been to the studio, never had a gig before. And um, he brought them and showed them off and the man picked Higgins. And from there, uh, he went to work on Petticoat Junction. And he was the nameless dog of Petticoat Junction. I think he starts in season two. There's an episode called, I think it's called Betty Joe's New Dog, which is actually available on YouTube. You can watch it. So I'll put a link to that episode. It is Higgins' first TV gig 
and he worked uh he was in 149 episodes uh over seven years and he is uncredited but uh, after the seven years in retired him all right so the dog worked so well that he just uh, after he retired him he decided to charge a great sum of money if if anybody wanted him for anything and he did shoal foot pads commercials so <laughs> they wanted a dog who brings a man slippers and sits up in a bag holding the slippers right and then when the man takes his shoe off see if you remember this and when the man takes his shoe off the dog keels over backwards I do not remember that. Well, I, I, as I read about it, I felt like I almost did. I, I'll have to see if I can find it somewhere and I'll put that in the show notes too. So we can watch that commercial because that commercial won prizes and it made Frank in, if he wasn't rich already, that made him fabulous amounts of money. That's a quote from an interview with him, fabulous amounts of money. So after that, um, he, he said, uh, I plum retired him. Like, that's it. Uh, this dog who at that point, if he did Petticoat Junction for seven years and he was already three and give or take a little training time in there, he might've been over 10 at this point. No, no. Um, he was 14. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. 12, yeah. 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 He was older, 12, 14. He was. Yes. So Joe Camp um, wrote the Benji story. Um, he had seen the Disney film Lady and the Tramp. And he was and he had a Yorkie himself. So he was inspired by Tramp. So he wanted this scrappy, whiskery dog, you know, to, to star in a movie. So he wrote the Benji movie. And he looked at like 300 dogs, but then uh, he approached Frank in and he, he, he liked about 20 of the dogs. He had narrowed it down and he was at uh, Frank in's place and he saw Benji lying. And this is the story. Is, is it apocryphal? Is, he, he was lying under a tree in the shade in the front yard. And he said, what can that dog do? And Franken said, you can't have that dog. That dog's retired. It's an old dog. It's a 14-year-old dog. And uh, he said, well, just show me what he can do because he looks exactly like the dog I just wrote about. So they ran him through some paces. He had to like walk over. I think it's the opening sequence of the movie. He's on, on a rooftop and he goes from uh, peak to peak and then pops out and looks at the camera kind of thing. The first thing he demonstrated was running over a roof like that. So Frank and picked him up and put him on the roof. He said, by the nape of the neck. <laughs> I know. Okay. And put him up on this roof, right? And um, he he did that. And he says, oh, okay, what, that's great. What else does he have? You know, and um, he did all the things. They spent like two hours showing off all of his training. So Camp said, I, I want that dog. Uh, that dog can do everything I want him. And Franken said, no, but he's too old. And um, Camp didn't care. Uh, and I guess they had to negotiate uh, because uh, at this point, Frank in, he said uh, he, he was starting to break down too. You know, So he wanted to retire too. But he read the script and he thought, what a great last picture for Higgins and, and me to make. And there wasn't much of a budget so uh, he was getting grumpy about that, but he agreed to $9,500 for seven weeks. Okay. Yeah. Wow. He says that was practically nothing. I thought $9,500. I mean, what is that in today's money? Uh, a couple of weekends. <laughs> oh, wow. With a really trained dog. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, when a dog, it, when a dog has to do numerous mm-hmm. things, right? Like numerous things, they need to be paid for that. It's not just sit, stay. Um, you know, there's some specialty tricks. So, you know, in order to compensate trainers for taking yeah. the time to train yeah. those. Yeah, it it was it, okay. Uh, I'm glad you said that because uh, we, we should start breaking some of this down. It was seven weeks for $9,500. And that was, gosh, what year was that? We don't know. He was born in in the 70s. 57 and he was 14 at this time. So help me. That's math. <laughs> 1971. Um, I'm going to go with that. Let's just say that. Don't get out your calculator and check my math. Um, so, yeah, he was he was grumbling about that. But when you think about it, OK, it was seven weeks. That seems like a lot of money for me, even now for seven weeks of work, because I'm um, you know, a professor, a school teacher and, and all. So, uh, well, he probably acted as his own agent. Oh, okay. Too. So there was no, there was no middleman. So it's you you're right. He, bu- he booked his own yes. job. It sounds like that because, um, he had asked for a percentage and Joe camp said, um, I don't have enough money to give you a percentage. I guess it would have been upfront or something. Um, he didn't have enough money. So they, they had, negotiated for back and forth for some time before they got the seven week deal. And of course the film was not shot in seven weeks. They had to renegotiate later on. But um, at this time, remember uh, he was lying under a tree. He was 14. Uh, He hadn't been working much. Um, He did not have the strength and stamina to do this film. So Frank in spent three months before the shoot was supposed to begin um, training um, Higgins not to do the behaviors, which he already had, but I'm sure he did uh, proof some of the ones that he knew were going to be in the script, of course, but he had to do a rigorous exercise regimen, one that Frank in himself couldn't do. So Frank in rode a motorcycle back and forth and, and gave uh, Higgins who was Benji, treats for jogging alongside the motorcycle. And every day he jogged, I don't know how far. And he had to climb a ladder over and over and over again every day for three months. And he had to jump off the ladder into a swimming pool and swim every day, a 14-year-old dog, for three months. So that by the time they began filming, he had the strength to do all the things. So they made the movie. Um, in said that he was the smartest dog he had ever worked with. And he said, just what you said earlier, that um, Higgins had the uncanny ability to express emotion. So we should talk about that. Uh, But I'm going to wrap up here. Um, Higgins, in 1967, he won the Patsy Award. That's the Performing Animal Television Star of the Year Award. He was featured on the cover of TV Guide. Um, He became the star of Benji. Um, The face critics are saying, this is a quote I got. I still have that TV guide, by the way. Wow. Oh, we should, we should put that in the show notes too. I'll find, I have to find it. I'll find a a picture of it. If I don't have it, send it to me. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, I can't remember where there was an interviewer said uh, the, the face that critics are saying is more expressive than any human actors was a quote said about Higgins. Um, and a viewer who watched the Benji movie said dog movie, dog movie. Oh, that's not a dog movie. That dog has emotions. <laughs> that dog is fantastic. 
So when Higgins died on November 11th in 1975, he was just shy of his 18th birthday. And his body was cremated and Frank Inn wanted him to be buried with him. But uh, he wasn't. Anyway, um, yeah, he, uh, his daughter has the ashes, I think. But uh, Higgins was only in one or two Benji movies, but there are many more. And Benji was played, or after Higgins died, Benji was played by um, Higgins's daughter, who was named Benjean. She went on to do even more. Yeah, I loved all I loved all the Benji movies, um, but definitely. The, and the, you still have that copy. My, my favorite. I do. I saved all that. I had saved all that stuff. I even have Benji in. Um, let me see if I can. Well, your podcast people can't see, but you see yes. right there okay. behind me. That's okay, all Benji. Hang on, you guys. Um, Dawn is leaning over to show me a uh, shelving behind her. It's a white shelving and most of the stuff on it is black and white. There is a framed picture over her right shoulder. It's black and white photos of Benji. It is. And they're originals <gasps> from that. Oh my set. gosh, Dawn. So. What else do you have there? <gasps> okay. She's bringing it up to the camera. We'll have to, you have to, if you don't mind, maybe you could take a, a picture of it for us. Wow. So Look how cute he is. Oh my goodness. Okay. I see here, uh, after I had studied him a little bit, he's doing one of his tricks is a yawn and he could shake his head. He could sneeze on command. So one of those stills was looked like a yawn that he was doing. He's covering his eyes in another one. So Benji has meant everything to you or quite a bit to you for a very long time. Yeah. I, he, I mean, he's, my inspiration when I think about um, trying to bring out emotions oh. from Fox, because when you go on set, you know, like uh, to do a movie or, or even, you know, sometimes just a video shoot, you know, they want the dog to be sleeping or, you know, um, I've had where they really want the dog to look sad, you know, and then they want him to look happy again. So you really need to know as a trainer how to bring those emotions out in your animal, right? If you want to train the next Benji, you'd be smart to do it on a climb table. That's climb with a K, a training pedestal from Blue Nine. And right now, this Animal Life has a fantastic offer. You can get $20 off plus free shipping by adding promo code ANIMAL20. That's promo code ANIMAL20 for $20 off at thisanimallife.com. The climb table gives a dog a place they learn as their very own. Many training methods used by professionals often involve a dog training platform or a, a kind of pause place table. The problem with most platforms is they tend to be heavy and have a number of parts and require assembly as well as repeated maintenance like painting. The climb features a molded one-piece top with a fully washable surface, strong enough to hold any size dog, and it weighs less than 14 pounds. The units interlock to form whatever platform size is needed. Climb table is fully self-contained. That's part of what makes it really portable. And even when they're taken apart and the legs are stored inside, they still stack. So you can store a whole bunch of them in a closet, in um, a training space, or in the back of your vehicle. Now you can go to our website, thisanimallife.com, to get your very own climb. You can even add accessories or get a whole training kit. 
You can add another Klein table in any of their fun and classy colors. I think the limited edition lime green is still available for a limited time only, of course. So get $20 off plus free shipping by adding promo code ANIMAL20. That's promo code ANIMAL20 for $20 off at thisanimallife.com. All right. Now, are you saying that you need to uh, help the dog actually feel those feelings or appear to? So you have to sometimes be good at making noises, right? So if I, if, um, okay. if I want a dog to look very concerned, I can go. Ah, 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 and that's the hurt puppy sound. And then a dog will look like, oh, are you okay? So it's a concerned look. Nice. Um, if I, you know, my, my little dog buzz. So if I go. <laughs> He looks startled, like he just has this very strange look on his face when I make that noise. Uh-huh. Doesn't care for it. Uh-huh. Um, if I go, my dogs will growl and look like they're going to show. Really? Them. So, yeah. <gasps> you trained that? Yeah, yeah. It's all. It's just. It's just a trick. The others are reactions, but so you know, my dogs. Can, my dogs can sneeze on command. Um, that's one of the first things I teach my dogs. But yes, you have to, you need to be able to bring out emotions in your dog. And the thing that really inspired me about watching the Benji movie, and it's um, if you go back and you watch, you can't tell that that dog was being told what to do. You can't tell the eye line of where the mm-hmm. trainer was at to tell him. Because most mm-hmm. of the times in a movie, you can kind of see the dog is looking over the actor's head at their trainer. Yes, um, You could not... I mean, I've picked that movie apart. You cannot tell where Frank was at. That dog was just such a natural actor. You know, Higgins was magical. You know, you just get those one in a million, a billion dogs, you know, and, and it's just, it's magic when, when you have a dog like that. It's the same thing with my little dog, Nikki, that has passed away. She was just an incredible little actress. And so you do get those dogs. And you know, a collie is also a different type of a dog than a mutt, right? So I think that also okay. that goes along with that their eyes are different, the emotion, the way that they could convey emotion. Um, Benji's eyes were, he was, he was just perfect. That's, that's all I can tell you. He was perfect. Now, last week's episode was about the Genius Dog Challenge. There's a group of scientists in Hungary who are studying uh, word acquisition in dogs, like the Irene Pepperberg thing, except uh, this is just um, noun acquisition, whereas Pepperberg was, went from nouns, you know, labels, called uh, what do you name things, to categories and so on. So far, this is just uh, names for toys, uh, like what Chaser. But what they were do, looking for is identifying um, innate talent or what they call genius. That's, there are very few dogs that actually have the ability to acquire a great deal of nouns in their vocabulary. Are, do you think that there are some dogs that just have this innate ability to interact in a way that are just so biddable and maybe so subtle or expressive? Is it something they're born with? Is that what you're well, thinking? You know, I, I always tell my trainers who who get to the point where they say to me, oh, my God, my dog was so good. I was so proud of the dog. And I was like, the dog was good because you did that. Right. The dog is only okay. as good as the trainer, if that makes sense. 
Um, so it, it's uh -huh. really uh, a partnership, which is why I think that dogs should be paid residuals because we are the ones that are creating that emotion. We're directing the animal, um, but, but we are treated like a lamp on set. We are the props department. We do not oh, get residuals like me. the actors who every time that Pepsi commercial or, you know, for instance, uh, airs, that actor gets paid. We get paid one time. And so I don't agree with that. Mm. And I hope that at some point um, I can help to change that. So that sounds like a good fight to fight. Yeah, well, I think it's just um, uh, I've had conversations with other agents and uh, they're like, well, who would we pay the person we rented the dog from? You know, if it was a puppy, what if it got oh. sold to someone else? And, you know, all those things I think can be can be worked out. But that's that's my feeling on it. But, yes, um, you know, I think some dogs you can. There are certain breeds, I think, that are just more biddable and more, you know, we also relate to the way an animal looks. So, you know, if if there's a, absolutely, uh, you know, let's just say you are afraid of Dobermans, you're not going to get the warm, fuzzy feel of casting, say, a Doberman um, as a child's dog that you might get if you had a little cute little mutt, you know, or Jack Russell mix. It's a completely different thing that you're trying to convey on film. So you think the eyebrows have something to do with it? I think eyelashes have um, things to do with it, the color of the eye, the shapes of the eyes. Um, you know, we want things that look like something that we could go to the toy store and pick up and give to a child who's sick in the hospital and say, here you go, honey. And so those types of dogs that are cute and adorable like that, um, I don't That's That's what gets picked for kids' movies. Okay. That particular kind of movie. Yeah, dogs yeah. get typecast, you know? Well <laughs> And you were typecast as a bottle I blonde. I was typecast, yes. Well, you know, it's funny as a dog trainer, I would go out and over the years, I remember one of my um, training clients, they said, you look like militant Barbie. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry, John. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Are there uh, dogs that you've worked with, either uh, they're your own dog or a dog that you uh, you were the agent for that uh, had the right stuff and all we had, had like ticked all the boxes. Yeah. I've I, had the looks, had the charm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been very lucky to, to work with many uh, dogs and, you know, I, let's go back a little bit in the conversation where you said that Franken said that all of the animals lived in his home with him. Well, that was yeah. not, mm -hmm. um, that was, not typical back in the day. Um, typically, oh, what they would do is they would have like a big boarding kennel, a big barn, you know, those kind of, you know, they would house the animals, the dogs, the cats outside in runs, like boarding kennel runs. And so I actually, when I got started in the business with my little Jack Russells, I was um, kind of helping somebody um, at their farm type situation that did the animal actors um, agency type of thing. And I did not agree with keeping the animals like that in a boarding kennel. And I voiced my concern um, for the animals. And anyways, I was complaining to um, a man named Captain Haggerty, who happened to be very good friends with Frank in. They went way, way back. And Captain Haggerty, if you Google okay. him, he's been on, he did tons of movies, David Letterman many times, wonderful man. And I was complaining to him and he said, Don, just start your own agency. And I was like, oh, 
okay, sir, I'm going to do that. So that's how my agency got started because I didn't like the old way of doing it. I think animals need to live in the house and dogs, um, not in a dog mm -hmm. house in a kennel room. Now, why is that? Or, or is there an example of what's lost if they're out in the kennel? Well, there's a lot of things that are lost. Number one, you're treating a dog like livestock, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. I, don't, I don't agree with that. Um, and you basically, those dogs that are in kennels, um, when you take them out, if you were to go to be around other dogs, there could be a dog fight because they're no longer friendly towards other dogs and they're very frustrated with their life. And that and that's going to show they're going to be very high strung a lot of times on set. Um, anyways, so um, so they're not well socialized. They're not well socialized. No, and they're um, they're frustrated because they're social very, creatures. Yes, dogs are social, and that's and that was the point that I had made. They're deprived of, um, when I was trying to argue the point of um, we should build a playground was my idea for the dogs and fence it in, and then while you're cleaning the runs. Put, put the dogs that can be around other dogs and be friends, let them go and play, you know, let them run off some of this energy. They may not work for another two months. Um, and oh my gosh, the yes. person who I expressed that to said, that's too much trouble. <gasps> yeah. They, they, you know, again, it, there's an old school way of doing things and people just want to stick to that. And I just chose not to be associated with that anymore. So I use professional trainers and pet owners who spend a lot of times with their animals and they go to competitions and they do really fun things with them and it's their baby, you know? Yeah. And they usually don't have a Fifty dogs. No, I mean, you know, some some of my trainers might have 14, 15 dogs, but they're but they perform. Okay. You know, they all do performance, and you know, I for me, even if I had fifteen dogs, that's not a lot, especially if it's just a few Chihuahuas. I mean, Chihuahuas it takes like six of those even to make a dog. <laughs> <Either>. Okay. <laughs> now that attitude where they just are in a their own isolated kennel run until we need them that you can kind of see where the uh, you're just a lamp in, on the set yes comes from exactly um so anyhow the the dogs um that i use these days are really um you know they're very well trained and the people who go and do this work because um you know sometimes i'm on set sometimes i'm not sometimes one of my kind of head trainers is handling things sometimes there's not but mm -hmm. I really look for people who really love their animals. They put a high level of training on it and they think, oh, this could be fun to go and show off some of that dog skills. And I really enjoy um, almost, I guess, being able to immortalize a dog. And, and, and I only say that because yes. when I did the TV show Dogs 101 many years ago, and that was really one of my first things where I was really a wrangler and I was a coordinator. It was one of my very first big projects. No, but let's stop right here just real quick. What is a wrangler? Um, a wrangler is someone who is making sure it's like kind of like a, a coordinator. We're making sure that um, everything goes smoothly for an animal. Yeah. We're called animal, we're called animal wranglers. So okay. we'll bring, you know, a whole bunch of ducks to set or dogs. And okay. So it's an actual job, like, best boy yes. or yeah absolutely well because there's also a difference between an animal trainer and an animal wrangler 
right? The trainer is the one telling the animal what to do. The wrangler, we're not really telling ducks what to do. We are wrangling ducks, kind of like cats, you know, we're wrangling cats because you're certainly not telling them what to do, <laughs> right? So yeah, so that was one of my very first um, uh, big gigs that was, uh, that I had to coordinate and wrangle. And I would go to pet expos, um, you know, years later after that, because I would hold auditions at Super Pet Expo in New Jersey as one of them up in Edison. And the people would come up to me who were on my show and they would come up and hug me and say, Dawn, thank you again for having us do Dogs 101. You know, I still have the card that you sent um, because I would send everybody a card with the picture of their dog on it and some photos of the shoot inside and say, thank you for coming to do my show. And it's going to air this fall on Animal Planet. And they would hug me and tell me how much that meant to them because their dog has now passed away. And the card I sent them is sitting next to the dog's mm. urn. But anytime they want, they can go online to Animal Planet and see their dog, you know, um, or their cat. So I'd love to be able to do that for people. Wow. So. Yes, that's powerful. Uh, that's very touching. I, I think I like that about uh, the podcast because I um, I, I'm a writer and I would write interview people for profiles or interview people for articles and I would record them. I've been doing this for 30 years off and on, you know, freelance. And when you write the article, so little of the conversation and ever ends up appearing in the article. And I love doing the articles because I, I, I made this bond with the people that I talk to. You know, just in the interaction that goes into making arrangements or, or following them. Like I, I went on set. I didn't know I was going to do a podcast at the time, yes. but I went with you and Mel um, when, when Mel's Godric was in a commercial and spent the day uh, watching all the things that you do. And it was really fun. Um, but I, I like making that connection and making people look good, like sharing with other people the cool things that I find out about this person, you know, like how charming they are or, or how compelling their story is, you know, and when I realized that when podcasts came out and I realized that, oh, the audio I've been creating and listening to over and over again so that I can put together an article, um, here's a way to share that so that other people get to enjoy the, the people I'm interviewing as much yes, as I and did. I, I get that. And you do have that that um, you do build a connection. I mean, the people who did my shows, uh, you know, many years ago, I'm still Facebook friends with them. You know, they still reach out mm -hmm. to me um, and, and we have that connection. And it does, um, uh, like I said, immortalize their pet, you know, in, in a sense, you know, we will always yes. have that um, for them. So, But you also develop a, a friendship with the animal. Yes. And, you know, I love highlighting people's, um, you know, just the incredible relationship that they have with their animal. You can, you can see that, you know, when they go on set and they're like telling their animal, you know, doing five, six things in a row and you could just see that connection. Like, I just love that. I love, you know, I think dogs and are just amazing creatures and I do work with cats, right. But it's <laughs> okay. a little bit, cats are a little bit more difficult. They don't uh, always appreciate all of the, um, I guess, uh, love and attention and affection, you know, sure. uh, that, that, that the dogs do. So, But people do train their cats. I'm always telling people. Uh, I because... say, please train them. Yes. Please. I need cat, cat train. 
I'm Thanks. so glad you're saying that. Thank you. I I can't tell you how many people send me a little note because I'm a trick dog trainer um, that they taught their cat or my cat's really smart. Or I taught my cat this and then I will send them a book on clicker training cats. It's a Karen Pryor book and a, and a clicker. It's <laughs> like, you know, do more. And um, they almost never do. I just I just found somebody who's taught four or five tricks to their cat and I'm trying to encourage her. Well, I, I've been, um, so on my, uh, video podcast last year, I had Maeve, um, come on and it was the surfer cat, this cat surfs and oh my gosh, they make harnesses for cats. His name's Maverick, but we call him Maeve. So, um, so Maverick, uh, the surfer cat, so these (laughs) people who own him, they, uh, walk him on a leash and they actually make harnesses. So I really always encourage people to, take their cat out and and learn how to harness train it. Because when I interview cats, like the last time I interviewed cats, I have them come to, if you've heard of the Aloft hotels, yes, ever been to one of those. Okay. They treat you like a rock star. I love those hotels. So they have a very cool lounge area and, you know, I can grab a drink while I'm there to interview somebody at the bar because it's right there. And so I have people bring their cats and, we put them out on the couches and on the tables. And I pretend like, hey, if this was a shoot, how would this cat do? And that really gives me a good sense of if this is a cat I think that I can hire. Anyways, please get out, harness train them and uh, and take them everywhere. And uh, treat them like rock stars at the Aloft Hotel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's such a cool place. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what are any of your animals acting right now? You mean my personal animals? Your personal animals, yeah. Well, you know, with COVID, um, I am yeah. vaccinated, but mm-hmm. I have not been to set since last December. My uh, little dog, Buzz, uh, did a video um, promoting a new, I guess, kind of like you, you brush your dog and it dries the dog at the same time, let's say. Mm. Um, it's a brand new product that's coming up. So we did okay. a YouTube video. Um, but, but that was the only time that I have been to set uh, since this pandemic started. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what life brings. But, um, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about getting COVID. Yes. Yes. So, you know, anyway, but now that we have the vaccine and now that we have all this testing um, and again, if it was an outdoor shoot. Yeah. But no, yeah. I, I don't have anything on the books for my little dogs because I live in Florida and literally not much goes on here in Florida. You know, the, the shoots that I have had, like the one that you came and met up with me with Mel and Godric, that was in Clearwater. I've done uh, yeah. one so, other shoot there with goats um, uh, at that. Yeah, it was goat yoga goats. for Publix. I'd love goats too, but they poop a lot. Didn't they're very know? messy. Oh my God. Nonstop on set. Nonstop. <laughs> <but> they're adorable. <laughs> so yeah, we filmed a Publix commercial where they wanted the girl to lay down and do goat yoga. And then I had a lady who that's what she does for a living is goat yoga. So she brought her goats, like she got on all fours and put her leg up and then the goat had to jump up on her back. But while we're holding the goats on leashes, they're just nonstop pooping. Okay. So they're not pooping on the yoga people. Well, they didn't for that second. Thank <laughs> God, you know. <laughs> yeah. They were wow. Adorable. Oh, it sounds like but, a lot of fun. And, and the other shoots that I've had uh, were for Purina and Chewy's over in uh, Hollywood, Miami area. Uh, but that was a couple of years ago. 
Okay. So the, the chance that I had to go hang out with you and, and Mel, that was just a rare and wonderful thing. I didn't even know. Yeah, it, it was great. I, I really enjoyed that. And I do hope to, you know, do more things here in Florida. But um, at this point, I really, I work all over the country. Um, last week, I had a job in Denver, had another one in um, New York City. Now, are you traveling to these locations? Or are you just zooming in? No, that's what I, that's what I just said. So yeah, I have yeah. shoots all over the country, but I, my trainers just go and do the shoots. Okay. Um, I don't, actually go there myself yeah i have a shoot going on in omaha just later this <laughs> month which i've never had a job in omaha uh so whatever yeah we're making it happen okay well do you have any tips for people who might be looking to get into this business say um how to how to find the right dog or parrot or cat what do you look for when you're just starting out with a new animal? Hmm. Okay. Well, I would just say, um, realize, I don't, I don't know if people go looking for animals to be able to do this business, but if you, you say to yourself, oh, I have these two dogs or a cat. And um, the big thing is, you know, make sure that you've done some training in public with them. Okay. Right. Because I get people all day long. They're like, look how cute my puppy is. For instance, people email me or text me with pictures of their four-month-old puppy. It doesn't matter. It yeah. really doesn't matter how cute that puppy is. Um, if I get a call for a puppy, I might reach out to you, but the puppies don't really have to do anything because they're puppies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if it's not a puppy and, and you really want to do this business, also be realistic about the look of your animal, right? So if okay. you contact me and you have a black German shepherd, and you're like, oh, I really want to be, you know, I'm a dog trainer. I, I love my black German Shepherd. And I really want to get some work for it. It's probably not going to happen, to be honest with you, because it's a black dog and black dogs just don't photograph very well. No, they don't. No, no. So if you contact me and you have a golden retriever, that's the number one working dog. So there might be a possibility, depending on where you live, um, for, for that dog. So you know, if you don't have the right dog for this business, um, then just think about that. The next time you go to adopt yeah. a puppy or buy a puppy from a breeder, think about what you're getting, you know, and feel free to reach out to me and be like, Dawn, so what do you think about this breed versus that breed? Because I'll give you my honest opinion as far as which one I think is going to work. Do um, breeds trend? Absolutely. Frenchies are super hot. They've been hot for at least five years now. So that's, that's another one. Still going strong on the Frenchie? Yeah, Frenchie front. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, years ago, it was all about Jack Russell's 10 years ago. Jack yeah. Russell's were very, very big. And, and I, I'd love Jack Russell's the little devils, but yeah. um, you know, I don't think people should rush out to go get a Jack Russell just because they're, they're cute, you know, especially if you like to go to dog parks and you like to be very, oh. all your little, your little doggy friends. That is not the breed for you. You know, you might want to get a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Yeah, they're or... scrappy. The, the the Jack Russells are. They're, they're a little chip on the shoulder. I love them so much. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 my breed. But again, I'm a dog trainer and I don't go to dog parks because uh, uh -uh. dog parks are not a very uh, safe place for dogs. So, no, you don't think so? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't go to dog parks either. 
I mean, once in a while I go, but I'm very protective of my little guys when I do go. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm always, it, I'm, I'm one of those people where it's hard for me to go to a dog park and just relax without giving out free dog training advice or maybe, <laughs> you know, getting upset with somebody because their little dog, you know, just went after another dog and you mm-hmm. know, they're letting dogs run the fences. So, so it's not always a very uh, relaxing it doesn't for sound a dog trainer relaxing. to be no because no. you're trying to wrangle the people the strangers in the, in the dog park yes absolutely yeah and uh and you're working it, it feels it definitely it feels, feels like, like you're working work. yeah no you can't go to dog i feel it's like you. i have to keep i have to i'm one of those people like i want to keep everybody safe you know what I mean? So when the owners are talking on their phone, they're not paying attention to their dogs. And then a new dog is about to come in. You know, I try to be like, hey, you might want to get your dog away from the gate because most fights are going to happen right at the gate. But most dog owners don't have enough control over their dogs to tell them to come and sit at their side while that dog enters mm-hmm. dog park, which is what you should do. That's proper etiquette. Get your dog away from there. And then I always tell people, let let the new dog come in and, and see the other dogs. Um, because it may not be, it may not go well. And at least your dog's not involved in a quick little dog fight if your dog is next to you. So this is not the era of etiquette. I know this is not where no. you thought this People, conversation's no. going to no, go. I'm we can talk about dog parks all day. No, but. and we should talk about etiquette. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge problem um, in the culture at large, I think. And now I sound like an old lady, you know, um, people just don't have manners like they used to. You know, but it's um, it's also a really big deal when it comes to dogs and it, it's all about their safety and people's safety yes. around them. And I imagine that that's a huge challenge on a set, when, which a set has, I remember from being there with Mel and Godric, uh, there was uh, a lot of moving parts, a lot of people doing a lot of things and cables and uh, in the scenes, uh, actually both scenes had uh, the general public also in the vicinity and sometimes a lot of times the dog is off leash yes yep so yeah it's definitely putting those safety um um, things in when you're you know when i'm kind of like talking to the producer you know like i had a call the other day they wanted um well they actually wanted a cat to run outside the front door of a house like and then they want the child to bring the cat back into the house and i said I don't really think that's a very good thing for a cat to do because if you let a cat out the front door of a strange home that you're filming in, it's probably going to run off. So Mm. I won't do that unless we put the cat on a harness with a piece of um, fish line. Okay. So that it actually can't do that. And I said, they said, well, do you think a dog would be better at this? I said, yes, I, I really do think a dog would be better at that. And they said, well, you wouldn't have to build anything out in front of the house so the dog wouldn't run away. I said, no, because it's a trained dog. And I would only send a dog that was off leash trained uh, to be able to accomplish that for you. And there's something called an animal safety rep. And these people are, you know, I had one wow. on my show uh, last year um, from uh, um, Jamie came on and, and we talked about all the, that stuff. And but sometimes those people are not there on the set. So ultimately it's your uh, responsibility to keep your animals set you know, safe. It's your responsibility too, or you, you take that very seriously. Well, I, I 
try to find out from the production exactly what's going on and make them aware of uh, what the animal's limitations and maybe some things that we should put in place um, if needed. And then I always just tell my trainers, look, if it, you know, if they say, Hey, do you think that we can do this? And it wasn't in the script. Mm. If you think it, that it's safe or you say, Hey, I need to, I need to, you know, put some, a barrier here before we do that. We always try to accommodate the productions. Um, but sometimes, yeah, we have to say, no, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going to do that, you know? And, you know, I've had to, and sometimes, you know, they, the productions get a annoyed because they're on a time schedule. Yeah. You know, for instance, I had a, a I had borrowed a hamster from one of my dog training clients years ago, and we were filming in a three-story Victorian home oh, with no. a couple of children, and we're on the top floor, and they wanted the child to hold the little hamster in its hands and come down the hallway. I have a bad well, feeling right now, Dawn. Well, I didn't let anything happen, but they wanted the child to walk down the hallway, and the mother would open the door at the end of the hallway, and the child would thrust, thrust the hamster in her face. And, you know, little hamsters, their little eyeballs kind of already kind of pop out a little bit. Uh -huh. So first I had to show the child, like, don't squeeze the hamster too much. <gasps> but the other concern was um, I made them put up um, like a barrier all along that banister with uh, yes. paper. Like it was four foot high paper. And they had to tape up the whole banister before I would allow that to even be filmed, which, again, it took a half hour of their time. But. I wasn't going to have that poor little hamster fall out of that child's um, hands and then fall to its death. Yeah. I mean, that would just be horrifying. So. Yeah. It would traumatize the child. Although the hamster would probably bounce. I don't know. It was three you, stories. It was a tall, it was a bit. You can't take yeah. that chance anyway. I, I would never. No, I would no. So. that would be irresponsible. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's just wrangling animals and, and sometimes it's really bringing out emotion uh, an animal. So it's always never the same, uh, same day on set, you know, I love that. It's fun. And some tricks, you know, you're asking about tips and tricks, I think is what you had asked about yeah, for, yeah. for training. Well, you know, we all know the basics that dogs need to do, but if you really want to, um, uh, set yourself apart, mm -hmm. I just had a dog on Friday for a big company. I won't mention, uh, film, uh, a scene at a park where the dog is being walked on a leash. And then now this is a female dog. Okay. And she had to hike her leg. Like she was peeing on the tree. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very doable. Teach that, mm -hmm. teach that trick, because that's something that most dogs can't do. So when I'm looking for a dog, it, you know, this dog actually came from Maryland up to New York to do it. So if I would have had a dog in the New York area that was really good at it, I could have submitted so that's that takes that trick takes a long time it can take a lot of patience it can take a lot of patience absolutely and you have to teach the dog you know some dogs are left and right legged mm -hmm. you know what I mean so um and then you know you want to teach the dog to go fake pee on a person fake pee on a pocketbook um, right. you got to generalize the behavior. different you have to generalize the behavior yes and then my other favorite trick um if anybody listening wants to go and Google this on YouTube, it was called the 2012 Humpy Awards. And it was a fake leg humping competition. Wow. Yes. And, um, you know, not, not trying to, not trying to brag, but I will tell you <laughs> that I'm probably the only animal talent agent who could have pulled this off for this guy because most uh, people don't have dogs that will hump legs and all four of my girl dogs humped legs. So, um, 
yeah, we, we were able to like uh, pull that off. So I would tell you, teach your dog if they already naturally kind of want to hump a stuffed animal mm-hmm. or you catch them trying to, you know, do it on your leg, you know, just put it on command. Yep. That's all. Capture don't don't squash it. that. But that's right. Don't, don't squash that behavior. Don't um, shame and, them. It's natural. Yeah. And then have them do it on different people, you know, like out in public. Cause that's the it's thing. Hilarious. I well, I, I had some dog training clients, um, a little French bulldog back then. And I had gone out because the dog was driving me crazy for that and a couple other problems. And I said, Hey, could we not try to get rid of that behavior? I might actually need it. And oh my God, I swear to God, it was like a week later, I called him up. I'm like, Hey, I kind of need, need another leg hump here. And um, so they brought the dog to do the shoot. There was a, a couple of dogs who said, Oh yeah, my dog will do it. And I, again, that was a new client. I thought it might be able to do it. None of the dogs did it except for my dog. How about yeah, that? All, all of my dogs did it because my dogs would do it anywhere. They were just so it was a command anywhere to um, anyone. So any, anytime. Yep. Okay. So here I am saying our culture lacks manners and now we're <laughs> encouraging you to teach your dog to hump anyone anywhere, anytime. I mean, it only, they only have to hump for a couple of seconds. You know, it's not like they have to, uh, you know, go the whole way <laughs> or anything. <laughs> you know, we don't want to uh, sexually just, abuse. Just, you know what? Just for a few seconds, you know, but um, always get consent. Yes, you should get consent of the people that you let, let them go hump. Well, it's funny because they flew my dogs out to, um, what was that, uh, Minneapolis. Uh, I took Nikki and I took Hope. You know, Nikki was the backup dog and Hope was a very strong humper. So when I got out there, it was a, um, a commercial for casino and they, it was a play on Westminster. So they had, you know, this other trainer bring all of these dogs and, you know, the judge is walking down, looking at it. I should put a link to it on my YouTube channel. It's up there. But the the judge is walking down, looking at each dog uh, like it's in the dog show. And then it gets to the last dog. And here's Hope. She's just going to town on this guy's, you know, leg. Uh And um, this thing was you have a better chance of getting lucky here at Treasure Island Casino. Nice. I like the other person who had brought the the local dogs. Um, she hope got tired. I mean, cause hope was a very strong humper and you know, this guy's foot was really big and it was really wide, much bigger than my foot. My foot fit better for her. And, um, you know, so hope got a little bit tired. So we had to, you know, take a little bit of a break. And this other trainer came into the back room. She's like, you know, we really need to like, you know, keep this going. And, oh um, you know, we really want to wrap this up. Did you mind if I just, you know, mess with your dog a little bit and see if I can get her to do it? I said, knock yourself out. So the trainer goes, she, what is she a fluffer? <laughs> well, she thought my dog would hump her, her leg for treats. So she got, cause she's a trick dog, you know, treats. Sure, sure. You know, everybody's all about treats. So um, she goes and she gets the treats and, you know, Hope gets up onto her, onto her leg. Hope would not do it. And um, so after uh, maybe 10 minutes of trying, she's like, okay, well, I guess let's just let her take a break. I said, yeah. I said, my dog does it not for treats. I said, yes, it's a trick. I said, my dog does it because it feels good. You know, I mean, she just needs a little recoup time here, you know? <laughs> so anyhow, she needs her turnaround time. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but anyways, that was, that was really fun. So we always have a need for uh, those types of for, for unusual skills. Pissers and humpers. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. My trainer who went to set on uh, Friday with the uh, fake uh, pee job, when she got to set, they always do. The, so do you think the dog can fake poop? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they wanted to know. Oh. I said, and I sent her a text back. I said, um, well, next they're going to want to know if the dog can scooch on the ground and scratch its ass on the, uh, you know, on the grass. And she was laughing about that. You know, I mean, we will always try, but no, the dog, that's a very tough one to get a dog into a position. The, to fake. the fake poop position. But do you remember the Stanley steamer dog? How it like scooched on the floor? Do you remember that one? No. Right. So yeah. So teaching your dog to scooch is a really good trick too. So, um, and another one is fleas, teaching your dog scratch. to scratch. Higgins yeah. could do that. Oh, Higgins could do anything. One of my most impressive tricks that, that uh, he taught Higgins was to actually pull a rope up a basket and put his paw on it. Yes. And then he, that was incredible. That's a great trick. Yes. I, uh, one of the videos I've chosen for the show notes shows that. Okay. It's a giant bone that he pulls. It's an interview with him in front of a live audience outside. And he runs them through some paces. And it, it's great because uh, you were saying that you had the one dog that you could give commands in a conversational tone. Uh, they're just like sprinkled in at, to your natural talking. Um, he t he's speaking to Higgins in this way. And he says, uh, why don't you go hop up, hop up? And it was a double level thing. And Higgins goes and, and, and it's a send too. I mean, it's something you have to work on all these things to get distance in any of this, oh, which we ha haven't talked about, but uh, the handler has to be able to work at a good distance. And he's just, uh, Franken is just sitting in a chair and the, um, the double decker thing that uh, Higgins has to climb was off to the side. And he just runs over there, no treats, nothing, hops up, hops up. And then there's a rope waiting for him and this giant bone. And he tells him, pull, hold it with your paw, pull, hold it with your paw until the whole thing has been pulled all the way up. And then he says, drop it and come get your treat. Yep. It's yep. quite something. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. And, you know, that's the thing. Dogs do need to work from a distance, you know, and all this year, you know, I mean, the, the trainers cannot be in the shot. The owner can't be in the shot. So everything is done from usually like 10 feet away. And that's also, in my opinion, what separates um, the, the professionals from the amateurs, okay. right? Uh, when you're teaching a trick to a dog, it's okay to really be like, oh my God, that was amazing, right? And, and give it a treat, you know, every single time. When that dog is a, a trained dog and I want to send trained dogs to set, a dog should be able to do 10 things in a row yes. without needing a treat, without needing a, oh my God, that was great. Um, because a dog, you want a dog with a really good work ethic. And that's what makes some dogs really special. And, and I, again, I can just tell you the difference between my two Jack Russells, Miss Hope and Nikki. So Nikki, you know, each dog is going to be um, uh, unique in their own way. So Miss Hope, for example, she was a much more high drive hunting type of a Jack Russell. And Hope, I could walk into the uh, local bank and while I'm uh, doing a check, I could say, Hope, sniff it out. And she would literally start searching the whole bank for drugs. I would not have to encourage her. I would just say, Hope, sniff it out. And the whole time she is working. Wow. Right. Now, Nikki, who did not have that type of um, instinct in her and hunting drive to um, Nikki, that was not her thing. Right. So you have to really pick what your dog is, is good at too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
so anyhow, that, that was a big difference between my girls. Good to have a string of dogs because they will have um, preferences, things that they're naturally talented or, or naturally more interested in than other dogs. Absolutely. Well, Hope, Hope was like my little mini Malinois. Like she loved bite work. You know, police officers could fake shoot her. Um, if I, you know, well, I'll tell you one thing that was also fun. You know, certain breeds have certain characteristics that, um, that they just naturally do. And I remember Nikki did a Band-Aid commercial with these little children and they wanted uh, the kids were all playing in the sandbox and they wanted Nikki to go and dig in the sand and throw sand on the children. And so I went and I just, I dug a little spot and I said, Bonita, there's a mouse, there's a mouse right there. And then I covered that spot up and I walked away and they said, roll camera. And I said, get the mouse. And Nikki went right to that spot and started digging and throwing sand. And, and the directors and everybody on the set just thought that was amazing. And I was thinking to myself, it's a Jack Russell. <laughs> I mean, it, it just wants to get the mouse. They love to dig and, and try to kill little critters, you know? Yes. It wasn't that amazing, but it impressed everybody. So, well, it was impressive that you knew exactly what to do to set her up so that she would perform Yes. Well, again, I think it's just uh, that bond that you have with your animal yeah. and being able to, to trust them and uh, communicate with them um, exactly, yeah. you know, what it is you want. So, um, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm kind of retired now from training dogs once in a while. I'll take on a, a client. But, um, you know, I I've it's been a wonderful career and I'm really enjoying now um, uh, doing more of the animal talent agency mm -hmm. and sending and growing that and uh, going to set with other people's animals. And you know, I have my two little dogs, Buzz and Pinky, but that's really not my focus anymore. And is using my dogs for everything. Yeah. So how can people uh, get in touch with you? Well, the easiest thing to do if, if you're interested in this type of uh, opportunities is to get into my Facebook group, you know, go to uh, facebook.com slash positively famous, uh, follow my page for cash calls and then check out the group that's attached to that. Okay. And we'll put links in the show notes for all of this. The main way. And of course on Instagram, uh, you can find me there and, you know, I'm actually launching, um, I've been doing a video podcast and it's mm -hmm. actually going to be a audio podcast, a positively famous, uh, podcast. So, you know, those kind of things, if you're, if you're interested in this, just stay connected and I'm happy to teach people and, um, bring, uh, more education to uh, what it is I do, you know, yes. people, they have a little bit more information on this. You're an excellent coach. So, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's, that's really what a dog trainer, a lot of people are like, Oh, I'd love to work with animals. Uh, you know, you really have to love working with people because it's all people training, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm having a really good time at this point in my career. So um, yeah, it's clear. It's really fun to uh, hang out with you on a set. And it's really fun to talk to you, Dawn. That was a that was a really fun day when I met you. And I was so proud of Godric. And oh, Mel. my gosh. Yes. He I mean, he, he did. He did really well because he'd never done anything. Like no. And he nailed everything. Yeah. And, and Mel hadn't done anything. And I was, I was just so proud of how you know, she's a good all that turned She's an amazing. Trainer. Yes. I, I remember the one person. thing she was worried about, the one time she had any doubt about him that day was when he had to go running toward someone, I think. And there was a lake right behind that person because she was, he's a, he's a golden retriever and she'd been doing uh, duck hunting work with him. 
So she yes. remember she was afraid that it, it, he was all carefully groomed. She was afraid that like right away he was going to plunge into the lake and he didn't because she she had a, a remote down. She could say down and he would drop yes. because he was well-trained and he was trained anywhere, any place because um, she had taken him out in the world and proofed him on all these situations. And she worked at a distance. Yeah. Yeah. And she's exactly the kind of person that I'd love to work with. You know, um, yeah. I, I don't require somebody always have, sometimes the companies I work with, they require somebody to have previous experience. Um, some of them don't, but I'd love people giving, giving them their first shot. So if you're interested in getting, uh, you know, uh, your foot in the door with this kind of thing, reach out to me. And- I have this feeling there was a lot more to talk about. Oh gosh, we could talk for I know for days. I think you and I, Lisa. Yes, yeah. it's beautiful. He made a funny little face. So he's a Jack Russell mix. I had a wire-haired fox terrier. Was my first dog. So I, I have those a, are cool dogs. Oh my gosh, that dog was cool, and I I taught her to do so many tricks, and we won a trophy in a tricks competition. Wow, I know. Yeah, tricks and terriers, and I go way back. So do you know why I have a Maltese? I, you know, I, I wasn't going to comment when I saw that. I, I'm not judging you, Dawn. You have my respect regardless. So, so you remember, so I never knew why I really wanted a little white dog. Like, like, all right. So go back and watch the Benji movie, okay. right? Um, all of my Jack Russells were white, right? Yeah. But I never had like a solid white Fifi dog like this. I think I know if where you you're go going back with this. Yes. Her name me, was Tiffany. Benji's <laughs> girlfriend's. And the movie was named Tiffany. Look at what I have. Oh my God. See, I've totally lived into it. And I was so impressionable. Huh. I'm so glad you suggested that we talk about Benji. I hope I did Benji justice in telling the story. Well, I, I was going to say on that show when you're talking about um, the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of like Ellie Mae. Like I have always had like lots of critters and I'll pull over on the side of the road to pick up more, you know, and bring them home. And, you know, I just hope someday I can find another man who loves all that in a woman. Oh, so. I'm keeping this. <laughs> I'm going to actually, I'm going to take that clip and I'm going to move it right up front so that nobody misses it. Thank you so much Lisa, for having me on This Animal Life. It's been wonderful to talk. It's been wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for being here. This is cool. It's really cool. So much fun. You're cool. I'll put in the show notes as many links to the books, movies, and television shows Dawn and I mentioned as I possibly can. Thanks as always to Sarah K. Martin for our super charming illustrations. We are so lucky. Thanks to Chip Salerno for this funky tune you're enjoying. Just go to the show notes for all the sources I use to put together the story of Higgins, otherwise known as Benji. If you like this episode, please support us by clicking like, ideally five stars, for This Animal Life on your favorite podcast provider. And even better, subscribe and review. 
Even if you just write one word, it helps us more than you know. Help us thrive in the podcast ecosystem 